Welcome to Tactical Breakdown. This is uh, the first of a few training updates I think we're going to start putting out throughout the year. And this one is the first one we're going to do with my friend Tony Blauer. Um, obviously, for those of you who are unfamiliar with ILET, we have collaborated with our friends at Vertra and, of course, Blauer Tactical to create a three-part training series. Um, and the links are going to be in the description. We're going to talk about it in this episode. But this is a short little clip. Uh, Tony and I sit down explaining what we put together for you. So hopefully you enjoy it. Here we go. Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown Podcast on the Islet Network. Your number one resource for law enforcement training. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. Quick reminder before we jump into today's podcast, the 2022 Islet Summit is taking place November 14th through 18th, 2022, and it is going to be amazing. This is the third year we've been able to put it on. Obviously, in no small part, and thanks to the amazing instructors, trainers, experts, and companies that have jumped on board to support what we're trying to do here at ILET. You can go to www.iletsummit.com to register for free. That's right. It's 100% free for you, your colleagues, anybody you want to share this with. And please do share it because the power of the ILET network is just that, the network, which you are a part of. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for being a part of this with us. Make sure you join us for this year's summit in November and help us change the standard of training. Let's get into this episode. Hey everyone, welcome to this special episode here on the Tactical Breakdown. Obviously with me, Mr. Tony Blauer. Um, This was an episode, Tony, that we had talked about Uh, doing it's kind of a semi-planned conversation we knew we were going to be doing it we just didn't know when Um, but it corresponds with the release of some training um, that we were able to collaborate on and put out that uh, just came out today so I'm excited to talk about it brother thanks for taking the time yeah it's crazy it's it's funny because when we're talking just before recording we're going when does that course go live and it actually went live just as we got on the call so yeah it was kind of kind of cool but uh, you know more about the logistics and and i don't know if you want to talk about that or or, or share that but that was uh you know that was a passion project for me um as 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 you well know but maybe some of your newer audience don't know i mean i've been in the law enforcement training business for over 30 years like started you know 1993 is full-time maybe 27 years then 20 29 years uh but i've been you know teaching studying violence and and fear and scenarios for over 40 years and uh the it's still an area that frustrates me in fact i had a a talk with I, i can't mention the agency uh for obvious reasons today but you know the guys former marine decades in federal law enforcement training uh was a student of mine years and years ago and we we're still talking about how training is still compartmentalized it's still uh block-based training instead of brain-based training in many many areas and so when the opportunity to work with you and and lawn and and the team at vertra and put together uh this course which was more about behavioral concepts, understanding the emotional, psychological realities of when a threat is uh, uh, imminent and immediate and things that we need to be thinking about from a the neurobiology, neuroscience level, not just wax on, wax off. You know, how do I take a guy down? How do I put on handcuffs? Everyone knows how to do that. And this is the thing that, that people love or hate me when I, when I philosophize about this and I call it it should, it's not a philosophy, it's an, it's an observation, is if all of that just worked, Adam, we would see clear, controlled uh, um, arresting procedures all the time. There'd be hundred. anytime you turn on a video of a body cam or CCTV, you'd see a cool, calm, collected uh, professional in public safety move to two o'clock, secure the arm, do this, like everything. But we don't see that. We see very often fear and chaos. And it's something that that you've heard me talk about. We've interviewed her a lot of times uh, that how we feel affects how we think and how we think affects how we feel and both influence how and when we'll move. And that's the missing ingredient. So all, all the systems out there have 
you know, it's like getting in an argument of what's better, a Glock or a Sig or a Smith. Well, if you're too nervous to get your gun out quickly, or if you can't control, you know, where things are, are pointing and, and like the mind navigates the body and that's still like, like a missing link in training uh, and even in advanced scenario training. So these courses, these courses, I was excited to do them, uh, to share them, uh, you know, through, you know, through you guys promoting, and of course to work with such a professional group like, like Vertruck and, uh, and film it at their studios there. Yeah. And, and to give people some background, if you're, if you're watching and listening to this and I promise I'll, uh, I'll show everybody what we're talking about here in a second, but this, this has been a project that's been ongoing for a little while now. Um, and in fact, it was last summer, um, you and I had talked and I said, we need to get some stuff recorded because there's been a lot of requests to get this stuff out there to as many agencies as we can. And unfortunately, um, because you're one person, you're one human being, it's difficult for you to go out to every law enforcement agency in the US and, and internationally. Um, it's impossible. And so we said, how do we make this accessible to everyone? Um, right. And how do we make it so their agencies want to actually get it for their officers and purchase it and buy into these programs? Um, and luckily, like you had said, um, the amazing team um, headed by Lon Bartel at Vertra um, jumped on board. And um, you and I were able to travel down to Vertra headquarters in Arizona. And we actually ran a two-day training program in person for a uh, select group of folks that came in. And we recorded all of it. Um, and that's where this, these courses came from. We took two days of training, um, and it was broken down into three, four hour training segments. Um, and each segment focuses on a very specific thing. Um, and these are the courses that are going to be available. One is on imminent threats. One is on immediate threats and one is on pre-conflict versus pre-fight. Um, and so we'll touch on those real briefly. Um, but those courses are now available on the Certified Training Alliance website. Um, and for those of you who don't know this, it just dropped today as of uh, September 8th. Uh, Virtra launched their certified um, their certified Training Alliance website, which is their training portal. Um, and I'm just going to share my screen here real quickly for everybody to see. If you go to certifiedtrainingalliance.com, um, you can see up at the top there, um, up here, that's a place to find it. Links are going to be below. And for everything we talk about today, all the links will be below in the description. But you're going to be able to find these courses um, of that we put together with Vertra. And I'm just going to click on this bundle real quick so you guys can see. But they're the three courses up here. They're each four hours in length. Um, and in fact, one of the courses, the immediate threat course, has already been certified by IATALYS. So if you're in a state um, whose post um, has accredited and approves IATALYS courses you're going to get hours for that course as well. So make sure to share that um, with your chain of command. You'll be able to utilize that for training hours as well. So really cool that we were able to announce this coming out there. Um, but Tony, let's maybe just break down those, those three segments for folks here. If they're not, um, if they're not familiar with your program with spear um, and all the things that you've taught in the past with the um, immediate imminent and pre-fight. So let's, let's break those down and talk about those for a bit. Um, I'm, I'm going from memory. Uh, obviously, I know what the courses are because I, I wrote them and I taught them. But the uh, they're they're kind of the, the the titles were specific. Everyone knows, of course, the difference between immediate threat and and and, and like imminent danger uh, uh, versus immediate danger. And what I did is is I I really feel like the most important part of our research is understanding the neurobiology of survival and how uh, the, an emotional, psychological fear spike or distraction for how we're thinking about violence or managing violence affects our access to our complex motor skills. So, you know, what I shared was some of my most potent principles of what you're, what you need to be thinking about to manage violence and manage fear in that intersection. And managing fear is something that, you know, in a type A personality, uh, we don't like to talk about, but it's so important to be able to separate this idea of managing fear has nothing to do with your courage to move towards the danger or to do the training or to put on the badge or, or to actually get in the fight. There are two tracks, Adam, for that every, every single trainer and every single end user 
needs to understand. There's there's the physiology of fear and there's the psychology of fear. And so the biggest and most important area that we've done decades of research on was the psychology of fear, because it's how you talk to yourself that improves your mind speed and mind speed is the most important thing in a confrontation. So each each one of those blocks, these short blocks, the, the, the woven thread through that is this idea that the mind navigates the body. Do you understand how fear afflicts performance? And these are the things you need to think about. So, for example, in the pre-fight area, we talked about the Trojan horse metaphor. We talked about nonviolent postures. Uh, we demystified some of the problems with like the archaic interview posture and, and some of the dangers that that presents for immediate action. Uh, if somebody goes to sucker punch you, grab your gun, et cetera. So the, all three courses, they're standalone courses, but they weave that thread of emotional, psychological balance um, and this ability to recalibrate really quickly. Like, oh shit, this is happening. Recalibrate because we get a fear spike. The fear spike hijacks our attention for a second. So if you were like, let's say you were the, the officer and you had to arrest me and then, you know, you say, hey, sir, don't move. And then I stand up and you realize I'm like, like 18 inches taller than you thought I was when I was sitting in my car and you're like thinking, shit, what the hell's backup? I called them in that moment. You're out of the fight, right? For that moment, you're like looking for, and so it's, it's creating this understanding between self-awareness and situational awareness and how if we improve our self-awareness, we actually can access more situational awareness. We're not distracted by things as easily. It's very, very subtle. It's such an important course. I, I hope people really look into it. I mean, it's it's not expensive. And and it's it's not like, and I just wanted to say this, 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 this one thing. I know you wanted to say something there. Uh, there's a lot of great courses out there where, you know, like I play golf and and I don't. But if I play golf, you know, there's a hundred different golfing schools and they're gonna show me different variations on where to put my thumb i'm shooting variations on i like this grip i you know I, I i've got friends that pop their elbows out and create this torsion through here and then i got people say no you got to do it with the lats and bring the elbows in and both both guys have been in gunfights both guys have shot bad guys who's right you know uh what i do know is missing from the training is how do I manage my fear, my self-doubt? How do I control hesitation? How do I improve mind speed? Because if I understand the threat and I understand the scenario, I need to make something happen. And so that's really the focus in all of our training, even somebody coming to a full-on spear course. Hidden in the messaging is the mind navigates the body. There's no such thing as muscle memory. There's motor engrams. These are neural patterns that get stored. But careful you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing. And understanding what that all means. So uh, uh, believe it or not, that essence is woven through these courses. You know, you know what I think is the coolest thing about this whole program is the universality of it. Um, I think the a lot of people when they hear Tony Blauer, they hear Spear, they think of the the physical manifestation of what Spear is. Right. They think of like, how, how is this physically applied? Does this match with our training systems? Does it match with our current DT program? All of those things. The cool thing about this program is even though you do talk about it briefly in there um, in certain components, the bulk of this, it doesn't matter what system you run, yeah. what state you're in, what agency you're with, or even what country you're from. There's no technique. This is, this is, about, this is about human beings and how we react to fear and violence. And, and it, it will mesh with every single program any agency is running. That's why I think it was so important that we got this out there. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great observation. And it's funny you brought that up because I was just uh, on a call um, last week and also this week. I actually did a little rant online where, you know, after 40 years, I'm still frustrated. Uh, you know, there's a part of me, the artist in me is still frustrated where, where someone goes, oh, yeah, spear, you know, that's that forearm strike. And I'm like, wow, like, like this is this system evolved over decades of studying the neurobiology of survival, understanding the cross extensor reflex, understanding how is it that that this very well trained person could be a MMA fighter, could be a boxer, could be a martial artist, could be a defensive tactics instructor, an experienced cop. How did they get surprised and why when they were surprised? Did they do something like this and they didn't draw their weapon or didn't throw a hook punch or whatever? Because if 
anybody who's who's been involved in martial arts even for a minute has this assumption about muscle memory which i said earlier doesn't exist in the literal sense muscles don't have the capacity to retain uh, a memory um and then and then there's this assumption that that well if he does this i'll do that and that violates physics action's always faster than reaction so we've spent ten thousand hours times three and a half figuring this out and i love what you said there adam the people who train in our system use it like the bottom tier of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The bottom tier self-actualization was the tip of the spear. So I want to be the best cop. I can be the best public safety professional. I can be that's self-actualization. But if there's a part of you, the bottom tier was survival in Maslow's metaphor here. If you don't weather the ambush, if you can't survive the most extreme environment, that's going to affect conscious or unconscious your tactical presence when you move towards something. Because if you know that you that if this really goes south, you've thought about that. You've thought about the fear. You've thought about the indignation. You've thought about primal gross motor movement. You know, there's a story. I don't know if I ever told you this. I was teaching in uh, Wisconsin and I had 32 of their DAT instructors, uh, D-A-A-T. Uh, uh, I forget what the acronym is, but anyone knows it's the DAT, you know, uh, program. And I had all of their instructors, like their, their lead instructors of the state. And I said, guys, there are certain fights where you suddenly realize you're fighting for your life. And this is an evil person in front of you. They're not thinking about use of force. They're not thinking about techniques. There's a moment, and we've all faced that one or two or maybe more times where you go wow, this person is scaring me. There's an energy there. It has nothing to do with how they're standing or moving. That's not what it's about. And I said, all fights are dangerous, but the most dangerous fight is the ambush because the ambush impacts you at an emotional, psychological level first. All victims of violence who live to tell the tale said they had a bad feeling before the attack. So the first pre-contact indicator is something's off here. And it could be just you know, somebody sitting across from you at an interview table and you go, okay, something's about to happen. I don't know what it is, but you feel it energetically. I don't mean this to sound woo woo or, or, but every single person that's lived to tell the tale has said that. So I'm asking this group, do you guys have in your use of force continuum, do you guys have any language that supports a cop improvising their way through a scenario? Just, just to weather, just weather the storm. And two of the guys said in sync, in harmony, yes, we do. And then they said this line, untrained but justified under the circumstances. And I looked at them and I went, holy shit, say that again? And they said, un again, like stereo, like they were Siamese twins. It was very funny. They said, untrained but justified under circumstances. I said, are you paraphrasing or is that actually the legalese, the language? They said, that's it. I said, well, kudos to your lawyers and policymakers, because you don't need a thesaurus to figure out like the jurisprudence language here to therefore, right? Like a cop can understand untrained but justified under the circumstances. I said, I'm very impressed. You guys are the first people that had an answer because I've been teaching all over the world. Most people, if I ask most cops, can you do whatever you want in a fight? They go, no, it's got to be the agency approved, blah, blah, blah. So where I'm going with this, and it's a very neat story. I said, I'm very impressed congratulate your team for writing that do you guys all feel safer because of that language they're like yeah because cops are worried about fight three remember first fight is between you and you second fight is you and the bad guy third fight is you and internal affairs and mainstream media and all that so a lot of people if you're worrying about fight three that's impacting you in fight one and fight two mm -hmm. so the conclusion of the story is this i look at the two guys that answered and i said guys i got a little challenge for you I said, who's got a stopwatch? The guy says, I do. Gets his watch ready. I said, when I say go, time it and stop it as soon as they start to move. I'm going to ask them to do something. Got it? And he said, yeah. I said, okay, you two guys. When I say three, two, one, go, you're going to demonstrate and I'm going to tell you what to do. Do you understand what I want you to do? They're like, yeah, but like, what do you want us to do? I said, I'm going to tell you, just do it right away. Like if I say throw a jab, wow, you're going to throw a jab, right? You know what if I, you know, if I said to you, Adam, when I say three, two, one, go, stand up, you'd stand up. You know what the motor skill action is. Mm -hmm. 
I said, you guys ready? They said, yeah. And everyone's like, there's 32 people. These two guys in the front row guy with his watch. I said, remember the language that makes you safer, untrained, but justified under the circumstances. And they're like, you ready? I said, three, two, one, demonstrate something untrained. And they both went like this. And I'm going, come on, demonstrate something untrained. And they're like, and I go, you're timing. I go, that delay where you had nothing to, to do, that's the delay you're going to have when someone's trying to kill you. If you've never thought about what does that feel like? What does that look like? What does that smell like? And that's really uh, uh, what I'm trying to convey to people, why this course that we just talked about is important. You need to, under you, it's, this sounds pompous and arrogant. If you want to enhance your survivability, you it's incumbent on you to understand the neurobiology of survival and what your body will do independent of what your theoretical brain is telling you right now. If I go, Adam, what would you do here if a guy stuck a gun in your face? You go, well, I'd get away from the little hole and I would clear the weapon here. And then yesterday we were doing a gun disarm class on Zoom with, with uh, a bunch of, a bunch of uh, people. And the attack, we used a video, the attack came at nine o'clock angle, blind spot. The gun was stuck in a politician's face here. And when they saw it, I said, guys, what would you do here? And everyone on Zoom went into, these are all people trained in spear who know better, they all went to grab like a move that we, that, that we teach where you trap the gun and redirect it. And I looked at them, I said, guys, the language, be careful what you practice, you might get really good at the wrong thing, includes us too. The unconscious bias, you guys all saw a video and you went to your favorite move without taking into account, where's that round going if it goes off? What's the, what's the angle of attack? What's the scenario? Who's behind me? And you all went to a less desirable option. And it was a very amazing moment there. And I'm, you know me, I'm down, a, down a rabbit hole here. But like, even when I'm training the people that have drank the Kool-Aid, right? They're like, oh, we're spear. No, we're Krav. No, we're jujitsu. No, we're, we, everyone drinks the Kool-Aid. What we still do is we always, it's everything we do is Socratic. Does, does this, resonate with neuroscience neurobiology scenario design moral ethical legal to the, the the totality of the circumstances not well because what a lot of us do because of our, our love of martial arts even if we call it defensive tactics is we create a romantic relationship with a solution from our system and then that's how we see the world well i would just kick the guy here i would just take him down here i would shoot him here I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking here because I'll turn this into a seminar. Um, no, it's all good. It, it, it's it's funny. Um, you're you're 100 on all of that. And it was as you were talking, I had this like epiphany. Um, you've seen me looking around. There's in this course. There's a couple books that I think a lot of people are very familiar with. Um, and I was looking around because I was trying to figure out where I had them on my shelf, and I don't know if I had them readily available, but I had one on my my table here. Um, the gift of fear by Gavin sure. Becker, which is primarily designed for civilians, which is, is designed for civilians. But the concepts in here are exactly what you talk about, right? Talking about what is that, that sixth sense that I have a bad feeling, right? Mm -hmm. What does that mean to a law enforcement officer? That's what these courses are about. Right. Um, the other two being on combat and on killing by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman talking about, Hey, when you're in a combat situation and bullets start flying or you get into those moments, your body is going to do things you don't expect your body to do unless you're aware of them. And if you're aware of them, it's not going to bother you as much. And there's so many interesting components to that. But those are these are three books that I've used in training for a very, very long time. And it and I literally had this epiphany as you were talking, these courses that we were able to put together encompasses that, but it it puts it in an operational environment for a law enforcement officer, which is the coolest right. thing that I think we could have done. So really excited for this course. Um, if, if anybody's listening or watching this and you want to get access to it, like I said, all the links will be attached to this video so you can uh, get direct access to those. And as always, um, you'll see our, uh, my uh, social media stuff below my name, Tony's is below his, or you can reach out to me directly or Tony via our websites um, and ask us any questions that you have. Um, please feel free to do that. And I'm happy to answer those for you. But that being said, that's one out of about a thousand new things that we have gone 
right. <laughs> on. Um, so let's, let's let's talk about some other stuff, brother. Um, where do you where do you want to start? I, I, a- I think I think one of the coolest things we've been working on this for several years. We we have we have um, uh, we've taught uh, we've always had mental health healthcare EMS. Uh, uh, hospital security in our courses, like people would self-fund or, or they'd have like a supportive leadership and they go, yeah, get in there. But all of our spear courses are really, you know, control and arrest, like focused on managing violence inside the reactionary gap, uh, control and arrest through whether the ambush, how do you, how do you, how do you get to, you know, that area where you're, you're, uh, you know, you're in control of yourself and the subject. And so people come to it and they go, they would love it. And and we've had like big, big groups like NHS in the UK for, for decades has sent people to the, the, the SPEAR program. In fact, SPEAR is the probably the only system by brand referenced in their federal training manual. Uh, it took eight years to have happened. And because some groups will look and they realize we're not teaching techniques. We're, we're, we're teaching trainers how to teach other people to move more effectively. That makes it safer in training. It makes them safer in the street. It's even safer for the suspect. And, um, but over the years, we would have requests from people going, hey, listen, we're, we're really interested in this, but you know, you, talk, you use the word combatives, you use this. Like the, the languaging, the nomenclature is completely different when you're, when you got somebody who's their initial impulse to get into service was was aligned with a hippocratic oath and then you're in a class where it says and here's how you drop an elbow in someone's head like there was like this disconnect and so we were getting asked for uh courses that were designed specifically for that audience and so we've been beta testing and working for two years now we just launched spear care and this is a a a course uh, you can see the spear logo embedded in, you know, in inside there, right in the middle of our 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 screen there. So our approach has always been holistic, you know, for decades. Our approach has always been about the emotional, psychological, physical, and but these are very. This is now very different from a SWAT course, from a uh, a multiple sale and a gun course. This is really designed for, uh, again, healthcare, mental health, EMS, people who are there trying to help somebody post incident, but then. There's violence as a result of their their uh, uh, emotional state. They're having an episode, or there's a violent encounter with you know a family member in ER or or whatever. And so uh, it's very it's a very very cool program. We're excited. Uh, Care, of course, is a is a cool acronym for Comprehensive Aggression uh, uh, Response Education, um, and uh, and it's really. Like the team, like not all of my mobile training team are authorized to teach it, right? We're looking for people who have had education and background in that area. Uh, and, and so there's like, there's about six people on our team worldwide that are authorized to teach this because we're really careful. We're really careful with the delivery. Well, there's a lot of components, right? I mean, here's and I, here's some. I don't know if you knew about me. I was an instructor in the healthcare field for three years, so okay. it's it's very interesting because you're 100 percent right. There's a lot of components to healthcare that people don't understand, or they 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 misrepresent things in training. And so, for example, I'll give you a perfect example. Yep. When I worked with the uh, the health region, we had um, all of the security staff were trained in PPCT. And then we would train all the nursing staff in part uh, patient aggression resilience training, patient assault resilience training or resistance training or whatever the acronym was at the time. Um, but and it's, it's interesting because healthcare systems around the U.S. PPCT is a very, 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 very common system. Um, the problem with PPCT in a healthcare setting um, is one, you trying to use Pain compliance on uh, persons that are in a healthcare setting it is never really a good idea. Using any striking techniques is never really a good idea. Um, and there's a lot of components to healthcare safety and security that is, is unique in that there's always weapons readily available, whether they be IV poles or hypodermic needles 
or scalpels or bedpans. Um, the amount of bedpans that I've seen thrown or hit people hit with um, is staggering. Um, right. We even had one like, or people using things like pulling an, an O2 bottle out of the bottom of a stretcher. um, using it as a, a weapon to, to, uh, to attack you with. There's so many things in the healthcare setting that you have to be aware of. Additionally, like you had said, dealing with different types of people. If you take the same training that we would give a standard security or law enforcement person um, when it comes to controlling a combative suspect, you cannot use the majority of those techniques when you're dealing with an 85-year-old elderly woman because their skin is so, so, so thin that if you employ a lot of these techniques, you'll actually tear their skin. Um, and so there's a lot. Of, and of course, if we're there to help somebody, um, you have a dementia patient who is having a very hard time um, and you go to physically control that person and you cause them more physical damage. That is never a good thing. And so I am so excited that you've built this course, uh, yeah. because if this was around back when I was doing that, this would have been all over the place. And I'm glad that at least it's available now. Yeah, it's starting to roll out and it's and the feedback you know, right now it's 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 word of mouth, uh, you know, and special request. But we have some uh, hospitals that are are investing in it, and uh, in a number of courses that are again, if you're on our website, you'll see them. They're few and far between because again, we're not promoting it in the it's it's a niche audience, right? But it's you know, given what's been going on in the world the last few years, like this is going to be very very important. And, and I love the, I love, and, and just as a side note to this, I love the, the branding and the name of this. Um, Thank you. Because it, it truly, it truly exemplifies what the system is designed to do. It's to, it's to help us care for people. Right. Some, and, and the public get this misconstrued a lot, even especially with law enforcement as well. Sometimes what to help somebody, we have to, we have to do things to help them. Um, whether that's physically control them or sometimes, you know, um, using a taser on somebody so that we don't have to shoot them like things like that, right. Using a minimum level of, um, physical intervention to achieve a result, to help the person. Um, and the branding on it, just from a administrative standpoint, if you have two programs and you have pressure point control tactics versus a program called spear care you're you're already ahead of the game so i commend you on that i think that was a really smart move on your guys's part yeah we're, we're we've got some really good advisors uh on 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 the group and i'm working closely with uh, uh an individual named uh, andy prisco who uh is is quite well known in in that mental health space and has done stuff for for decades at a state level and and has some like very important de-escalation programs out there so you know he was uh uh he got he i don't want to say he discovered me because i've been around for 43 years but he hit me up on linkedin uh after reading a few of articles and watching some videos and and asked me if i would like to experiment on a program for a uh, a healthcare group, a private group, and I said absolutely. And uh, you know, we we talked about like naming conventions and some of the issues of of you know, like me showing up swearing like a truck driver, sailor with tattoos in this audience. And I I said I I got I got the team for you. I like I know who on my team you know, works in this area or like you had prior experience and this would be, this would be, they would love to do it because that air, you know, when violence had, you know, one of, one of, one of you know, I, I have a presentation called violence loves speed. And, uh, and it's a very provocative title, but things happen fast when it happens. Mm -hmm. And, and you've got people who are, uh, their situational awareness is always compromised because they're looking at the mental health or physical health. They're, they're looking at that Hippocratic, you know, filter and then looking at you. Whereas a cop gets out of a car and sees a guy, he's not thinking Hippocratic oath here. He's going, okay, what's going on here? Where's his hands? What, you know, like, what was I told on the call? Like, right. And so he's looking to deescalate and control 
to serve and protect, but he knows this is a suspect and this guy's going to run or fight or comply. It's three options. Right? So where, you know, the nurse walking to the room to say, hey, have you taken your medication? Isn't expecting a bedpan across the head, mm-hmm. you know, so. So the idea that, that this group needs this more and, and the numbers, I don't know if you're tracking this, but some of the numbers we're hearing in terms of violence in these institutions now is skyrocketing, nothing like they've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's, you can, you, without getting into politics on this talk, you can thank the last three years of the world for that. So, yeah, no, absolutely, man. It's, it's, it's crazy. And it's important that we keep innovating new programs that, that meet the needs of, of the current cultural social economic environment right yeah I mean, yeah and that's an unfortunate reality of a lot of what we do no it's and it's and it's and it's one of the things that that we've always been uh you know uh focused on and that i'm super proud of my team is every year they're like hey can we change this can we update this this is happening and i'm like yes 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 like like we're, we're not we're not using black powder rifles and riding on horses you know things things need to change and we may be back to black powder and horses soon but who knows, who knows? <laughs> but um, um speaking speaking of um innovations and stuff um high gear's been around for a long time 93 since 93 yeah but you've you've made recently made some upgrades and changes right yeah so let's, talk, let's talk about that a little bit yeah so so high gear still is the state of the art there's three copies on the market um and i'll just say that out loud uh you know if, if you can't afford the original and you want the copy go for it uh but um it, you know i'd love you to support us the gear the the, the sales recently post-pandemic have been outrageous to the point of uh, uh, we're, we're they're all handmade in America. Uh, and so we're back on like six to eight weeks delay where we were down to like three weeks, you know, getting it. But a uh, lot of overseas orders, the gear, if, if you're not familiar with it, listen, the last, the last phase of your competence, evaluating your competence is scenario based training. And if you look at these pictures, like if I removed all the gear and I stuck one person in a uniform and two people in douchebag, dirtbag, you know, gangbanger clothes, you wouldn't know if this was a scenario or if this was a real fight. And so that's one of the things that we've that we've always worked for. How light can we make the gear? What type of smartphones can we use? Uh, um you know, we've got a marking cartridge ready version, so you could be using Sims or UTM or whatever paintball uh, and, and and work on it. But uh, you know, the, if you're truly trying to evaluate the psychophysical response time of the people you train, which will vet your training program, you need to be doing scenario training. If your gear is too bulky that people can't move, like if you if you flash back to one of those pictures, like uh, you know, pick anyone like that, you can't do that in any other gear. You know, like like if the gear is too bulky, you you can't do stand up, you can't do ground fighting. We we have certain units that we work with, Adam, that are are like lone operator stuff where we've got it. Didn't send you all the pictures, but you know, we've got guys thrown in a trunk, and when the trunk opens, the fight kicks off. Right, like they got to be able to do that in the gear. We got to be able to transport the gear to a real location, put it on. When you know to put the gear on, you can do it inside three minutes. One of the things that was really interesting when we were designing the gear is a lot of gear was, was too restrictive on the head. So they, you know, be like, this would be like, I go, you know, you're talking all you're a good fuck. It's your hands. And you're like, what? You're like, like with our gear on, I could literally sneak up beside you and whisper in your ears, going, "Don't turn around, man. I got a gun." Like I can really do. I can have you sitting in the back of a car. I can have you in a jail cell. I can have. So we really spent a lot of energy and time uh, on on the headgear, on the mobility part. Uh, in in an area that's counterintuitive is that when you get hit with the gear, if I smash you with the gear, you're gonna move and you're gonna feel it. And I remember the first time we were, when we were doing like like proof of principle testing with different organizations, they were expecting it to stop the impact. And I'd go, hey, if you read the description, 
it uses the, the, the phrase impact reduction, not impact stoppage, right? I want you to be afraid of my knee, my kick, my elbow, my headbutt. Because if there's no fear in training, there's no stress inoculation. If I can be lazy and I go, oh, the headgear will just stop me. I don't want that. I want people to be to be concerned. So, so goes, you know, we go back to the old: Are you hurt or are you injured? Right. Yeah. yeah. We want to prevent injury, but we want there to be a physical consequence during training. Yeah. If you're lazy or sloppy or or weren't paying attention, you know, there should be a penalty for your inaction. Um, and, uh, and that's the way you train people. So I used the term earlier, psychophysical response time, big fancy word for, again, the mind navigates the body. Mind speed is everything. If we improve our perception speed, we can also improve reaction time. So the gap between stimulus response, that refractory delay is as quickly as, as quick as possible. We, we make our assessments Remember the brain, the brain, the brain is this amazing computer and it's looking for patterns of recognition. If I lean in and I go like this, Adam was really good talking to you, right? And I start doing this, I go, Adam, Adam, right? Like part part of your motor engrams in your brain, even though we're on Zoom, was thinking, is he trying to shake hands with me? Like, mm. is he trying to? And and some of you watching that, and I do this all the time in class, I'll walk up to somebody and I'll go, and I put my hand out and their hand shoots out. And I go, I don't want to shake hands with you. I just did this, right? It's like, oh, fuck, like... And just showing people that we can create these Pavlovian reactions. We need to understand that in training. If the thing to do is to protect your personal space by deploying your body's biological air, air, airbag, a.k.a. the spear system, spontaneous uh, you know, protection-enabling aggressors. Uh, <laughs> I just did my 1993 acronym because I was just talking about it. I want you to link that article. I armbarred a Navy SEAL and immediately regretted it. Um, uh, below, uh, uh, Lincoln. Right I just I just released that like a, a week ago, August nineteenth, uh, two weeks ago. Um, that's me in nineteen ninety three, dude. Uh, that's down at Advanced Combat Training um, uh, Center at Naval Special Warfare in Coronado. Uh, I had one tattoo hidden on my ankles because I didn't want my mom to see it. But um, uh, but it but it was amazing. I talk about like the neuroscience in that of why I armbarred the guy. And, and what the consequence was that in the context of the scenario. And anybody, anybody doing any self-defense needs to know this, but especially defensive tactics and combatives where, where we're, we're adding another layer of, of uh, focus and due diligence because we're, uh, we're assigning the skill to a, like a legal use of force element. We're saying, hey, this is like, if this happens, you're going to do this and remember to do this like this because you might get sued and you got to watch this. And there's all this other pressure that we don't realize that we're we're compelling people to do things that may not be the safest thing to do in the context of scenario. So I tie this really interesting to read that article, but also then go visit the high gear page and 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 think about it because there's a story that I, it's not part of that article. I'll write about it one day. But I did I did multiple courses with this with the SEAL team, which were responsible for all combatives training for for the whole uh, you know uh, Navy service. Um, and and the there was one part where we were messing around, and they asked me, "Well, how would you handle this if somebody grabbed your long gun like this and pulled you like this and it caught your sling like this?" And I did something that they really liked, and so we started practicing it. And there were only seven people in the cadre. And so one of the guys at one point after about an hour of us doing it says, hey, I wonder if this will work with our kit, with our plates on. And I said, well, you know, we're on base. Like, how far is your kit and your plates? He said, well, in that room there. I go, well, let's get them on and see. And it didn't work with the plates, but it worked with a T-shirt. So it was like immediately, okay, you need to know that. And that was a great Socratic question. And so there needs to be a caveat assigned to this. So like, why are you practicing something? What's the scenario? What's the bad guy doing? And these are all the, in fact, there's a, um, a free course that I do online. It takes 30 to 45 minutes to, to do it. I do it free for Zoom. It's uh, on, on our, our scenario training. It's called the Science of Psychology Scenario-Based Training. And it's a free course I do for any active duty. You just got to put together the right group. 
and uh, and we run it. But it's basically every not everything, but everything that I've learned that I can share in 30, 45 minutes about scenario based training uh, to to create what, what we call the three R's. Is it realistic? Is it relevant? And is it rigorous? So realistic and relevant aren't the same because you can have realistic training that's irrelevant, right? <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, is it realistic meaning like, is this how people really fight? Is this how people really move? You mean, is all, it that, you mean all that jousting training I took last week isn't going to help me? Yeah, it can if you fall into a time portal and then some maiden, uh, you know, starts flirting with you and then right? her king boyfriend challenges you. Um, but do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about what it would be like if you somehow got shot back in time and how you would fare in like the 1700s? Dude, I would love to do that. This, this era that we're in, we are living in the stupidest time of our history and we are alive for it. And I would love to go back to, if I knew what I knew now, did you ever see the, um, did you ever see the quote? uh that um dave grossman wrote about me you know i don't know if you know this i've been friends with him for for decades mm -hmm. um but uh did you ever see the, the the grossman quote i have it up on my website somewhere it's it's freaking uh i'm gonna send it to you because you got to see it but, it but why i say that is because he talks about me um let me see if i can find it here uh, ba -ba 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 he he's he, I don't know if you knew this, but Dave has written not only a bunch of nonfiction stuff, but fiction things. Mm -hmm. And he's written some science fiction and uh, or he includes me in a book. He mentions uh, me and Bruce Siddle, ironically, from PBCD. Uh, and, and he talks about um, 10 or 15 years ago as the as the golden era of defensive tactics training. And he refers to us in the future. And it's a very funny quote. Um, but speaking of time travel, uh, yeah, I would love to go back in time when all you had was a katana and your balls. And and it was like, you know, you, you, there was no there's no keyboard going. Uh, how come I've never seen Blower in the UFC? You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and you didn't have any of that shit going on. You know, it's uh, I think about this all the time about how our culture has changed so much where there is no, it's like, there's almost people don't expect a physical consequence to their own actions. Right. Yeah. You have a, like it happens at the bar. I mean, and I don't go to the bar anymore cause I have very young kids, but even a couple of years ago, if my wife and I went out or I was out with a couple of buddies and for some reason, somebody walks up and they'll get in your face and they'll literally say whatever they think they want to say. Right without realizing that there could be a very real physical response to what they're saying. And they just, it doesn't even, it doesn't even cue in their heads anymore. Right. They're right. like, I can say anything I want. This guy can't touch me. And it's like, no buddy. Like <laughs> you push the well, wrong buttons. You're going to see what happens, but it's yeah. an entire generation of, of people now that will literally walk up to you on the street and like throw their drink on you or like any, any amount of vitriol that could happen and they expect that nothing it's, will happen to them anymore, it's right? Nothing. Well, but but There's look no how taking somebody out back. You know what I mean? Like, it's, look look how they've been trained by the by the media, by the by the uh, 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 every, everybody. Like, you know, the snowflake generation, the safe spaces. You can you like like being a Karen is is a job now i'm gonna go up and i'm gonna give that person a piece of my mind because i don't like this about them and and every this generation has been taught that it's okay like you said to say or do anything you want but it's like it's just an upside down world man right you and, know and, and i don't bring that up just to just to like vent i bring that up because it, it's a very real problem that we have when we're training young officers Yes, that they come into academy, they come into training and they're like, it's just like teaching. I always say this when I, if it's like teaching a women's self-defense course, if I do, if I do zero, zero physical training in the entire time I have with them, I want them to understand that I have to get across to them that there are people in this world that will literally walk across the street and stab you in the throat for no other reason than they thought it was a good idea at the time. 
Right. And it's hard to get people that can't imagine themselves ever causing harm to somebody that somebody would cause harm to them. And that is, that's the, the light switch that has to happen in training with officers that are like, listen, man, you're signing up for a job that there's a very real chance that somebody's going to try to kill you. Um, and, and that's a hard reality for some people to grasp and some people don't get it. And the people that don't, we see the unfortunate results of that in the street. Yeah. Which brings us to maybe what might be the last concept. I'm happy to stay on all day and cancel all my meetings and just talk to you till midnight. (laughs) No more missing flights though. We've done that before and that's never a good idea. uh, But I, I did a presentation a few years ago called emotional use of force. And uh, I was talking to a SWAT commander and I said, you know, everyone understands and knows use of force, but how many of you talk about and train for emotional use of force? And, uh, and he goes, emotional use of force. I've never heard of that. Like, what is that? You know, where's that from? I said, well, it's from our conversation right now. You know, it's like, it's, it's really about understanding, um, uh, the, the, um, the, the role emotions play when we make decisions. And, and uh, I ended up doing a, a big presentation on it that turned into, it took a long time to put together a cohesive article uh, on it. And, and it's, it's something every administrator should read because it'll help them understand. Uh, I think a lot of administrators forgot what it was like if they came from you know, patrol at some point and made it up. But in many cases, there's a lot of uh, leadership and managers in a lot of organizations that were never on the street. Uh, and and I think it's a useful article that in my presumed compliance article that I think every every officer should read both of them. Because again, they're, they're like, if I come full circle to what you said in the beginning about the three courses, uh, imminent, immediate, and, and pre-fight, um, they're not about Krav Maga or Jiu-Jitsu or Spear. They're not about, about, you know, one style over another style. They're really about understanding uh, the psychology of violence and my relationship with it and how that affects all my decisions. So I've been taught to cert- move a certain way. Do I know that fear and this external stimulus can bypass my executive function that says you should palm strike the guy now. You should grab your gun now. And if that moment gets hijacked, you're in a tailspin unless you've been exposed to it in training. And certainly the first the first phase of exposure should be theoretical education, you know. And I, I liken it to like an armor's course where you go to an armor's course for your for your pistol. And after the course, you're actually a better shooter, whether you realize it or not, because you've demystified the function and the mechanics of it. And so these courses are like armorer's course for self-defense in that, oh, I understand a little bit more about my brain, neurobiology, neuroscience, how the mind navigates the body. And here are some some tips and drills that'll make me safer immediately just from watching this, this information. So this article, Emotional Use of Force, um, and uh, I don't know if, if, if Jenny sent you any of the graphics for that, if there's anything to pop up, just so people have a, uh, an idea of what it is. But the um, emotional use of force, maybe you don't have it. That's okay. Uh, the emotional use of force, it's, I think it's a very important investment for, for everybody. Um, check it out because it, it will help you understand this timeline of violence that violence doesn't just start here. You know, there's there's an actual progression and you could feel it building in you energetically from that distance to emotionally and physiologically and then eventually psychologically. And the more you understand about that protocol, there you um, go. yeah, you know, that's, 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 that's understanding this, this timeline of, you know, where, you know, where this all starts. If you've got static academy, uh, uh, training you are more susceptible to having an emotional reaction in a confrontation and what we don't want and you can pop out of that now um, what you don't want in a violent encounter is to be emotional that's where that's where that's where now you're in reactive mode and and it's a greater challenge to control yourself and therefore control somebody else 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, and and that's I think to to kind of tie this all together, like you had said, these these courses that are now available. And again, if you um, if you haven't already checked it out, the links are going to be below this video. You can click on it and get direct access to them. There, it's it's a piece. It's a piece of the puzzle, just like everything, right? It's but but what we're trying to do is give you the tools and the skills as to make them as readily available as we can to make them accessible to you, to make them relevant and to make them so that you can actually use them when you need them. And there's not a lot of courses that we can do in a purely online setting, especially in the defensive tactic space that is immediately applicable. And this is, um, and that is the cool thing about this. And so um, as we wrap things up here, Tony, first of all, I just want to say thank you for joining me, brother. Um, we always, I mean, Tony and I will sit down and be like, all right, we're going to do a quick 15 minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that never happens. Um, but also, um, yeah, I appreciate you being here. And, um, as we end this, I'll give you a second to say your last words there, brother. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to link up and put the, uh, pre, uh, the preview promo video, uh, the introductory video for the course, um, after this video, you guys can stay tuned and check that out. So Tony, last words to you, brother. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, like, like, like you said, you know, we connected a month ago. We said, Hey, let's do like a 10, 15 minute update. You know, here we are at 56 minutes. Um, but, uh, you know, you said it earlier, like if I, if I said to all of you, guess what? You're no longer in law enforcement. You're professional MMA fighters and you're fighting this Saturday. You'd be shitting your pants. Think about this metaphor. If I said to everybody listening to this, and this, and this, this might be your, if, if you do a little sound bite. Sure. <laughs> like, sure. If, we'll cut her like, out. Yeah. Like, if, if I said to every cop, anyone in public safety, I'm going to flip a switch and immediately you're not in law enforcement, you're a professional MMA fighter and you look down and you went, you're fighting this Saturday night on the UFC, you'd all be shitting your pants. Your physiology would change. You go, who's my opponent? What's my weight? Uh, where's my mouth guard? Where's my cup? You'd be, and this is a metaphor that I love sharing with cops. I go, you know, there is no MMA fighter or boxer that would agree to fight somebody on Friday or Saturday night without going to a rules meeting, a weigh-in, looking at their opponent, maybe looking at film of their opponent, putting in a mouth guard, and warming up. Yet you do this every day. You don't know who your opponent is. You have no mouth guard. You don't have a cup on. You don't know. You don't have film on them. You, you don't warm up. And you just walk up to, you know, a car going, well, what do we got here? It's going pretty fast, weren't you? And this person could pull a gun, try to hit you with their car, get out of the car and fight you. And it, it, it blows my mind that more people in law enforcement don't take that reality more seriously. And you said it earlier, Adam, like this is a job that can literally kill you. And if you're not aware of that, then you're unaware of it. We have a maxim in all our training. If you're looking for dangerous people, hanging out in dangerous places, then you're always in danger. And that doesn't mean that you got to walk around like this and you're like, you know, you're exhausted and your hair's falling out because you're always like, oh my God, I'm in danger. That's not what I mean. It just means you put your, you put your gun on undercover or, or, or on duty or whatever. It's on your hip. It's concealed, whatever it is. And you're stepping out of your house, which is your safe haven, or the police department, which is your safe haven. You're stepping out and you're going, I am moving into the dangerous world because my job is to stop bad things from happening, right? I'm supposed to catch bad guys. And uh, that, that MMA, I use MMA, of course, as, as a metaphor because that's the more popular sport these days. But no MMA fighter would agree to do what cops are doing. And if I said to you, all you cops listening to this, you're not a cop, but you're fighting tomorrow. You'd all be like, who am I fighting? What time? Where? What's the weight? None of you have that same concern, you know, when you leave your roll call meeting and you're on the street driving around and go, oh, what do we got here? Right. And it's, it's a fun thing to look at. And what that means is you should be taking preparation for your fights more seriously. You should be exploring more about understanding what happens during sudden violence at a neurobiological neuroscience level, whether you like jujitsu or Krav or spear or you're a boxer or all you are is a gunslinger, whatever it is, 
the mind navigates the body. Study that stuff. And, and those three new courses and our emotional use of force uh, uh, article and certainly presumed compliance will, will, will flip some switches in you, which will make you more formidable and enhance your survivability in a confrontation. Um, on that note, and I and for some reason, I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier. Um, there is one other thing that I do want to announce um, that we can announce on here. And it's an upcoming documentary that's being released in two weeks called Wrist Lock. Right. Yes, Wrist Lock. So let me, I'm going to, I'm going to, I have a, the actual promo video of you in it, but let me, um, let me bring this up for everybody to take a quick look at. It's coming out September 20th. Um, it's going to be available on Amazon, um, Apple Prime, and uh, a few other places initially. Um, and uh, Tony, why don't you just talk to me real quickly about this? Because I think it's a it's a phenomenal project. Um, Jason is going to be on the podcast next week. Nice. Um, him and John. And so why don't you give me a quick Cole's notes of what you talked about in this? Yeah, it was pretty cool. We, we, we actually had a really fun session. They, Jason contacted me um, and, and um, said they're putting this together and they're interviewing like a, like a, a like a bunch of like, well-known trainers and people who are, but particularly people who've been lifelong martial artists who also uh, started teaching cops. And, and the gist of it was, was um, uh, I mean, and I don't want to talk too deep in it because it'll, I'd rather Jason explain his mission for it, but it was this trying to, trying to, without, without stealing his thunder, find this intersection between martial arts and defensive tactics and, and, you know, one of the thoughts were how much more effective and confident and competent cops would be if they had a stronger martial art foundation, what that could do to enhance defensive tactics. Certainly, you know, the, the only confrontations that ever make it to mainstream media is when a, when a cop fails to take care of things uh, in a timely fashion, right? And bad shit happens. So, of course, the media is only looking for for you know, blood and, and chaos, um, to, to sell their tickets. But, but this was, a, this was a, you know, they reached out to me, uh, again, like I said earlier, I've been around for, for four decades, but teaching cops for 30 years. So I was flattered and honored. And when they came, they, we, we, we picked a couple of things to focus on and we really focused on, uh, uh, Again, the organic airbag, the fact that a, a sudden violent encounter will trigger a startup flinch. I talked about some of the concepts there. We did some some kind of high gear proof principle. We did some interesting neuroscience stuff about how you can do these isolation drills to show people that that a complex motor skill can get bypassed like this. It was pretty neat. Let's um, take a, let's take a look at this promo here, and we'll see what it we'll see what it looks like. So this this drill, if I can explain it while he, while he's doing it, so yep. this this is an isolation drill where uh, um, where we have somebody like standing like, and this was this is part of the demystification of of that classic interview posture. So if you switch to me for a second, I'll just want to show something here, um, where so many cops still have their hands down, you know, interview posture. They're down here like this because somebody told them you want to be close to your kit, close to your weapons. And they're inside the reactionary gap. So it's an isolation drill where, you know, I say, hey, I'm going to put my hand on my gun. I've got no retention on it. And I want you to try and scoop the back of my head. And, you know, you're standing there, the guy's going, yeah, but officer, no, no, no. And you would never be standing there that close with your hand and your gun, of course. But it's really a proof of principle to explain that actions versus the reaction and that the suspect inside the reactionary gap can move. So it's a safe way that if I can scoop your head like John was... I'm a good, I've got good fast reflexes. John was able to scoop my head. So then what I did is I pulled him back from the head scoop. If I can get my hand around your neck before that gun can come out, I pulled him back here. He didn't understand where I was going at first because I wanted to make it real, but uh, we pulled it back and then I had to make a fist. Well, scooping my head and hitting my fist, my, my chin with your fist is like a seven, eight inch difference. It's meaning if I can scoop your head, I could certainly punch you in the face easier. Right. Because the chin, in terms of proxemics, hitting you in the chin or reaching around the head, you know, we've got this much distance. So it's a safe drill you can do without equipment, right? And show, holy fuck, like I need my hands here when I'm talking to somebody. I need to be in one of our Trojan horse nonviolent. That was that, it was an extract there, but it was, 
it was just to show people that actions versus reaction and the suspect is always in an ambush moving first. And so if your hands are low, you don't have any time to get your gun out because your brain is now occupied with, oh shit, he just got his hand behind my neck. Um, it's an interesting drill. Um, I mean, look at the, look at, if you look at the faces on this, on here, there's uh, some of the best in the business. Um, people have been doing this a very long time. It's, it's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal um, documentary. And um, for anybody who doesn't know, we're actually going to be doing a, um, a special showing of components of this documentary during the Islet Summit this year in November with a follow-up roundtable, um, which I'm sure Tony will be involved with um, to discuss all of the components um, that are relevant to uh, officer use of force and safety. So um, with that being said, brother, I appreciate it. I'm excited we could do this again, and um, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Always great to connect. And, uh, you know, what you're doing with, with you know, your program, your system, your group is so, so important. A way to, to you know, unify all these different organizations and all the stuff you cover from, from active shooter to, to mental health. Uh, and, uh, you know, you're doing it's It's amazing how, how much you've done in the last couple of years. And so I'm proud to support Islet and you. So anytime, let's keep Thanks, doing brother. stuff. All right, guys, check out this promo of the uh, training course we were talking about with between Blower, Islet, and Virtra. Here you go. Join the Islet Network now. Go to islet.network. That's I-L-E-T dot network.